I can't say I wish I would be able to work a few hours a day because I love my work. And when I don't have work to do for, you know, the lengthy days that I have, I find work because I'm interested in what I'm doing. Hi, you're listening to Looks Like Work. I'm your host, Chet McLean, and yeah, it's the least pronounceable name you've ever heard, but you'll get used to it. I'm a serial entrepreneur who's obsessed with curiosity, creativity, and grit, and that's just to get started. I really can't get enough of learning more about people's career choices. What fulfills them? How do they deal with burnout, with heartbreak? How do they protect their boundaries? And is it all even working? Those are questions that keep me up at night and I hope to explore here. On this podcast, we'll have deep conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, people juggling a few jobs, sometimes even a few industries, sharing what looks like work for them. With that, on to the episode. I really hope you'll enjoy it. I'm so excited for this conversation. We're here with Chamuta Sheber. She's one of my friends who I most respect and love and one of the smartest and the most hardworking people that I know. And I am so excited to dive in today with you, Hamuta, and hear a little bit more about what looks like work for you. So first of all, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Tell me a little bit about yourself. How, how do you define yourself? How do you talk about what you do? Okay, so what I do, not necessarily how I define myself, <laughs> uh, I am a consultant, a market researcher, very curious person. I help companies understand market and consumer trends in order to develop better innovations, whether it, it's in marketing or in product or in vision and everything in between. And you're amazing at it. And beyond what you do, which... I love that you said that you're a very curious person because that's also how I define myself. And I think knowing you now for, I think, 13 or 14 years, it's very much how I look at you. And I think it really fuels everything that you do. Uh, what else can you tell us about yourself beyond what you do? That's part of what I do. That's what I do uh, for work. But also, you know, that's my hobby. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to do it for 20 years. But the other thing I do is I'm a mother of four. I'm a fitness addict. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. I love cooking. And I guess this probably sums up what I do uh, other than listening to both very educational and very uneducational <laughs> books on Audible. Those are the things that I usually do. Yeah, and, and can you tell us a little bit more about your path? Because you started your business, I think, if LinkedIn tells me the truth, around 11 years ago. And before that, you were a lawyer or you studied law. But it's not, it's not a traditional path. And I think what you do is not, you know, it's not something that you see in a book and say, that's, that's what I'm going to do. So tell us a little bit about that. So indeed, I studied law and I am a lawyer by profession, although other than my internship, I never practiced law. I found this passion for research when I was in my first year of law school through my best friend, Michal Nachmani, Dr. Michal Nachmani, who actually brought me to uh, an intelligence, an 
it was a competitive intelligence company. We didn't really have market research then, and it was more than 20 years ago. Uh, market research was, you know, if you knew how to look for things, look up things in Google, you were a market researcher. Um, and I had to actually kind of invent the whole specific category of market research in that company. And I was very happy and lucky to get that opportunity. So I actually came there in order to help her with a project. And I just discovered that this is the field that really unites all of my passions for learning and teaching because you know when you do market research and you consult then you also teach and it actually enabled me to learn a lot about many different subjects as well as as to really dive into the subjects that I found the most interesting such as consumer trends food and beverage and a lot of the things that I used to and still study uh, every day for my work. So it actually, you know, it found me more than I found it. And it was love at first sight. I mean, this is kind of a profession that if you're not in love with it and are really interested, you just can't do it, especially not for a long time because it can get very lonely it's you and the data. Every analyst knows what I'm talking about. And also it can be very boring because you have to put your mind out there, pour everything into it, and then, you know, just analyze and synthesize and be able to make something uh, informative and insightful out of it. This is exactly how I am. I always dive into something. I say, you know, bring it on. It doesn't matter if it's in sports or at work or in cooking and everything, you know, just bring it on. I want to learn everything I can about the subject. Then I just, you know, go my own way. I, I start to break it into different parts and play with it and create something new. And it's very much who I am. And I think, you know, one of the things I learned in high school and then in the university as well was philosophy. And I love philosophy. And I think moral choices and also professional choices and everything I do has to have a reason. To have a reason for everything you do, to ask yourself, why am I here this morning? What do I plan to do? To be mindful about it. I think that's something that I've been doing my whole life in everything that I do. And if I don't have a good answer to why am I doing it, then I'm not doing it. I always ask myself, you know, how am I helping clients today? What are they expecting to get out of it? Will they be getting whatever they want to get out of it? Uh, and if not, that, you know, I'm not going to approach the subject the same way that I planned. So I always ask myself, what exactly am I doing here? Why am I doing it? And I think this is uh, something that really helped me um, communicate with myself, with my clients, with my family, and really integrate everything I do um, in life. <laughs> You've been very honest, but also very humble. So you are the CEO and the founder of uh, Sheba Research. You have offices in New York and in Israel. You work with some of the leading firms and companies worldwide. And I think when speaking about market research, 
it's very easy to like only think about data and analysts. And I know for me, for myself, a lot of time, like if I wouldn't have known you and have like followed you for all these years, I'm not sure if I could have connected the dots and understood how important it is and what are the actual use cases? Wh- why do clients come to you? What, what are the needs and what are the things that you help them accomplish? And in following you and looking even at your site and seeing what you help them come up with, whether it's products, initiatives, Initiatives all across, you know, the the industry. It's pretty fascinating. So, can you tell us a little bit more about that? First of all, thank you. I I also agree that it's fascinating. So, what I do I, is kind of multidisciplinary approach. First of all, because we do handle a lot of disciplines, and second, because this is how I think. So, we use, let's say, we use competitive intelligence mostly to analyze situations we try to understand what is happening better because sometimes you know the things that you see if you don't understand the causes for them and you don't know what competitors are doing and what consumers are looking for and maybe you can get because of changes in technology then you can't really create the future we say you know learn from the past understand the present and create the future. So in learning from the past, this is something that is um, often overlooked today because people say, you know, it doesn't matter because of uh, technology and the generational you know, divide and everything changed uh, so much. So why should we even look at the past? And I believe that uh, learning from the past is about behaviors and understanding past trends because probably history doesn't repeat itself but patterns uh, repeat and we understand patterns whether it's in the past or in the present when we look not only at history but also at what's happening now in other industries maybe in other markets even that uh, consumers are you know um, might have some resemblance to other markets so we try to understand what's happening in other markets in other industries to understand what needs are actually happening. Uh, And then we try to look at what the big competitors are doing on the one hand, because this really creates change. And the other thing is uh, technologies. If there is a new technology, if there's a startup that creates an ability that enables innovation that wasn't available before, then I want to know about it because this is something, again, that will create the future. And so we help our clients to really make sense of all of those components and get a clear picture of what is going to happen. So again, it's it's the four aspects, as I said, the uh, competitors, startups, consumers, and of course, macro trends because regulation and uh, changes in adoption of, let's say, technology, digital, etc., are really affecting all of those. And these four components are dynamic. I mean, they change all the time. So that's where competitive intelligence comes in because we really follow, you know, the changes, try to make sense uh, of it all, whether it's through my, you know, primary research um, that I myself or my employees research and look into what companies are doing or through secondary research, you know, other reports, other data. And I use, let's say, consumer surveys, for example, is not something that we do. We don't collect information on consumers, but we do have access to a lot of other 
databases that do have this kind of information. So I would use that. I would use primary research in uh, terms of, you know, Google Trends or uh, shopping trends or website keywords or anything like that. So it's everything, every component is a mixture of a lot of resources. It's not one discipline. Like I said, we use everything in order to understand the future. But again, I believe that my clients, especially, you know, whether it be the biggest uh, leaders in their respective categories, or if it's a startup that I believe in and therefore chose to work with, that they create the future. So I don't necessarily tell them, you know, what's going to be in their industry. I help them be the change you want to see in the world. <laughs> so I try to help them achieve that and not be, you know, number two. And if you are number two or number three or number hundred, do something better. So again, identify where there is a gap in the market, where, is the, where there is a new need, do it better, do it faster, you know, whatever uh, the need is. Any example you can share with us? I won't share specific examples from my work with clients, but I can definitely share examples of my work, you know, of insights and discoveries that we made. For example, uh, one of the biggest trends that I've been talking about for years, and you know it, is stress-free. And when I started talking about that and writing about that and analyzing things in the uh, perspective of stress, it wasn't a very common conception. And I think today it definitely is. Uh, what we discovered back then was, for example, that consumers make choices and they do things and they buy things and they consume things because of that prism of stress. They want to eliminate stress. They want to avoid stress. So a lot of things that have to do with digital, but not only that, I mean, it, it could be you have the aspect of quick and you have the aspect of slow and they both try to create stress free living. I mean, everyone aspires to homeostasis. We know that, you know, the human body needs homeostasis. You always need to balance whatever you do. If you have quick living, you'll choose slower living, you know, whenever you can. Back to nature, all of these things. But if you are really living very easily, you'd want some something, you know, invigorating, for example. So this search for homeostasis and reducing stress is something very important for consumers. And I think that industries have to look at it, competitors have to look at it from this perspective. Is what we're doing now reducing stress in the physical or in the mental way? If it's not, then we're not doing it right. So that's one area in which my primary research led to new insights, you know, that I think help companies in general. And the other is uh, gut health. It's something that also I've been quoted about for a few years now. I think in uh, 2015, 2016, we started seeing that, again, in the uh, food and beverage uh, and health and wellness categories, we saw a lot of uh, people talking about allergies and gluten-free diets, dairy-free, paleo, everything started to really clash. And what we saw was the fact that people want to feel, you know, less bloated. They are talking about digestive problems. And at the same time, there was a lot of talk about an area in medical studies that 
I personally have been reading about for many, many years, which is the microbiome. So the thing that changed was not really discoveries in microbiome as uh, much as became popular science, you know. And uh, people started talking about it. We saw that media started discussing the microbiome and the fact that uh, if you have a happy microbiome, then you will be happier. Years ago, I saw research on, you know, studies about how microbiome affects weight loss. And it all connected because I said, you know, people are looking for better overall health. We know that microbiome affects that. And so gut health and the gut health claim will be the next big thing. This is the new protein. Uh, that's what we said. And back then also people talked about the dairy-free movement as part of the vegan trend. And I said back then, you know, it's not the vegans. It's about digestive problems. It's about the perception specifically of health and wellness and also, people feel that in milk, they're not giving up anything. They want to feel special. So they, you know, they would choose almond, uh, uh, sugar-free vanilla uh, latte instead of just having, you know, skim milk or anything like that. That makes them feel more special. They love the flavors. They have a lot of options to choose from. So again, I always try in my studies to look beyond what's uh, on the surface to understand the trends that are driving a specific choice because I believe that if you don't understand why something is happening, then you can't have successful innovation ever. If we take the plant-based milk example, if uh, companies really uh, you know, thought that it's about vegans, as was the conversation back then, they would track, you know, how many vegans there are, or can we make more uh, um, consumers vegan or otherwise, you know, make them not be vegan. But it's not about that. It's, it's about the same trends that are happening in every other industry, indulgence, value for money, convenience and everything. So again, not understanding why something is happening and what choices people make according to their perception even if it's not the reality, but their perception is a problem. So one of the things that I do in this regard is trying to understand where perceptions come from. So one of, the, of course, like I mentioned, you can track Google Trends or stuff like that or, or surveys. But another thing that we track is influencers. Because when I talked about the microbiome example, I talked about media outlets. But in recent years, you see more and more that influence is very diverse and very fragmented. You follow your dietitian, you follow your favorite actress, you follow your fitness instructor. So you have your influencers and uh, whatever they say, you will probably do. So it's not one media outlet. So what I try to do in every research that I do is also look at where influence comes from in this specific area. And it doesn't have to be mega influencer, macro influencer. It could be people that are respected. They're key opinion, you know, leaders in their respective industry or maybe a restaurant, popular cafe where, you know, you have lines uh, of people waiting pre-COVID, obviously. So I'm always trying to see influence as well and understand, you know, what people will do. 
trying to have all of this, you know, metadata on everything that I research. I don't believe that AI can really do that. I think my analyst and I <laughs> do it. You know, we use AI a lot of times, you know, to recognize these influencers, for example, uh, or uh, to analyze menus. But at the end of the day, you need to have a consultant, you need to have an expert that looks at everything and tells you, gives you, a, you know, an analysis and a recommendation based on everything that they saw. I think one of the things you said, which is really interesting to, to see following you, is that uh, you said about something that you're intrigued by it and you live by it. And I think that's really something that I've seen you do, at least in the last few years. I don't know if, if that was the same when you started off, but you really adopt a lot of things. Not only do you examine them and you test them, like our listeners can't see it, but you have two watches. One is an Apple watch, right? And another one is the Whoop. Yeah. Which I would have never known about had, if I hadn't followed you. And here, I just got my Apple watch influenced by you. So you're my influencer. <laughs> so you're influenced by it. You're not just researching it. You're not like this professor, like looking at the computer and saying, oh, this is very interesting. You're actually experiencing it. You have feelings about it. You can be angry about it or excited about it. How do you feel that this impacts both your work and also your life and what you're excited about? And maybe it brings new things or maybe takes out other things. Yeah. So when I started working in market research, I started working on food and beverage projects. And maybe if I hadn't, I would not have fallen in love with the subject. Because again, you put your mind out there and you just pour everything into it. And I don't think I would have been able to do that if I didn't find it interesting best projects are the one that you're really interested in researching. And I think today I only choose clients that I'm excited about working with. Most of the last 20 years, you know, at least the last 11 and a half years of uh, my company, I have chosen whom to work with. While in the beginning, I didn't have the option to choose exactly whom I work with. Today, I definitely do, um, thank goodness, and I'm very grateful for that. And yes, I, I mostly research what I'm excited about, but also I'm excited about what I research because there are a lot of subjects I uh, research, for example, you know, home uh, appliance or uh, digital living, last mile solutions that um, I didn't understand how they connected to my life. And now I do because I researched them and now I'm very interested in them as well. So I think when I study something, I become passionate about it. And when I'm passionate about something, I will research it, whether I have a client doing it or not. For example, in fitness, somehow I do not have a client, but uh, nevertheless, I write about it. I talk about it all the time. It defines my life. It defines my work. Everything I do, it's something I learned from running, from yoga. So I have to understand these kind of passions that I have in order to work better on everything that I do. And I think that creates the passion in everything that I do because I'm excited about 
hard work. I'm excited about learning something I haven't learned before that I don't know. I'm just excited about my work. I'm passionate about everything that I do. I think that's one of the things my clients are also always very curious about. They tell me, you know, is it really interesting for you? <laughs> I'm never faking passions. You know, I, I would never. It's just I'm really excited about everything I do. I think it's a chance to become better, to learn new things. And everything I did helped understand another, a totally different sphere, totally different area, better. I mean, you always, you know how, how this works when you connect the dots and, you know, you have the neurons all working separately and then suddenly something connects. I think in every industry and every knowledge area that I have, everything connects in the end. That's somewhere I really relate. First of all, I also find everything interesting. And I also find everything to be like a teachable moment. Like you can watch a rom-com or, or whatever, and it would teach you something. Could teach you uh, in a positive way uh, about something you didn't know, or it could teach you that you don't like something, or it could teach you about something ridiculous. That's also valuable. And one of the things that you said kind of brings me to a different question that I've thought about, uh, which I really like about the way that you look at life, or at least the way that I think you look at life. Let me know <laughs> if I'm completely off is that you don't really compartmentalize. A lot of us compartmentalize. We have our work and we ha have our, you know, our downtime and we have our fitness and we have our kids, even people who are passionate about the, what they do, even if they don't have, you know, a nine to five job, but still they, they have like their hustle and then they have, they're going to the movie or they're doing yoga to relax or because they feel that they need to. And then they have time with their kids. And I remember since, you know, we've known each other for a long time now, and I always really identified and kind of related to the mix of it all, because I also feel like the word balance is kind of fiction, right? But on the other hand, uh, one topic that I came to really look at this year more than ever was also burnout. So I'm really wondering, this is really two questions, and you can answer them together, or, you know, compartmentalize, mix, whatever you want. Um... First of all, how did you, because I, another thing about it, you is that you really are very conscious about things. So you, you are, you're not, you know, your life isn't just what it is because it happened. So how did you uh, build your life to contain all the things that you care about? You have four amazing kids, which is always a joy and a challenge, especially now with COVID. You have your amazing business, you have fitness, etc. So how did you build it around the things that you care about? And then how do you make sure that you still at the end of the day also are not burnt out by all of it or any of it or some of it? So everything you said, first of all, it's true. Uh, if there's one sentence that I hate, one you know life lesson that I hate is work hard, play hard. I hate this. I think <laughs> you, nothing should be hard. And I think one of the things in my life is that seldom I look, seldomly I look at things and I think they are hard. Everything you mentioned is an anchor for me. Fitness, my kids the cooking, the work, of course, everything is for me an anchor. I mean, I, I look forward to each of them. So while I don't compartmentalize, I do compartmentalize uh, during the day. Uh, for example, if I feel like I'm not in the mood for working, 
I will do something else that, you know, that's when I will fit my fitness, for example, or go cook or bake uh, until I really, the, the dots connected and now I can sit down and write what I was thinking. Um, so I have a lot of things that I look forward to during my day and uh, I just do them at the order that I feel like doing them. I am not really attached to a certain uh, calendar I try to really be very flexible. I usually take a few minutes in the morning to think about what I want to achieve at the end of the day. And if I don't, I'm not mad at myself. You know, I say, okay, there is tomorrow. I do burn out sometimes. And uh, as you know, it really affected my health, the stress, because I had a few situations in life when um, things collided where I had stressful, really, really, really busy, way too busy time at work, usually because I took a project thinking I could do it with my employees, but, you know, something happened to my employees and I would never, ever demand my employees uh, to do something when they don't feel like it or when they are unwell, I will always do it myself. So sometimes I had situations where someone took a vacation, you know, I didn't know about because they felt like, they needed it and I would, again, never tell them not to. So I had to do way more work than intended. And I really burned myself at, um, as someone who, uh, myself, who practices Ayurveda. This is something, again, I'm very, very attuned to. I'm a pita dosha. I'm all fire. And I don't think anyone uh, has any reservations regarding that definition. I am fire. And so I know that I have to try and fight this fire. And you don't fight fire with fire. You actually fight fire with water. And, um, and that's what I'm trying to do. I always try to understand when I get to this point and my body, my mind will definitely tell me that I'm there. And I try to um, do something that turns the fire off. It could be through nutrition. It could be through a different fitness regime than what I um, meant to do. I won't run. I will do some, you know, more peaceful uh, walk or yoga or whatever. I'm always trying to, again, balance whatever I have going on. And it's not in uh, any very determined or uh, fixed way. I'm just, as long as you're attuned to what you're feeling uh, at this specific day, I think you can manage everything. And you have to, again, I, I hate the word hustle as well. I know that <laughs> yeah, people use it all the time. And, you know, I respect the hustle and everything. And again, my um, many, many Peloton instructors and even yoga instructors use that word and use it as some kind of ideal and for me, hustle is not an ideal. I want to enjoy whatever I do. I want to find the fun parts. I not always find the fun parts in my, I don't know, like kids fighting, screaming, or, <laughs> or taking them when I have, you know, a meeting, following a meeting, back-to-back -back, uh, presentations, and I have to prepare research. That's not fun. But again, when I look at it at a interval run sort of way, so okay, that's not fun, but fun will follow. If not uh, this hour, then maybe tomorrow. And if not that, then the weekend. I always try to put something on my calendar that is 
pure fun, meeting friends, doing nothing, binge watching Emily in Paris, or, you know, whatever really stupid and meaningless thing that <laughs> that's fun. That actually resets me. Yeah, everything. Just put some fun things uh, around the clock and just use whatever else is, you know, like a lesson, like a chance to grow, to change. And uh, this is life. I mean, everything for me is part of life. People always told me, you know, how can you find the time to uh, attend to the kids and work? And now people tell me, how do you find time to exercise and work or cook and work and whatever you do and work. So for me, everything I do, all of these components are living. I mean, how do you find time to breathe and eat? Uh, that's the same for me. Work, kids, fitness, everything uh, is part of my life. I don't have as much time as I would like to have for friends, for example, or for my family, you know, not my kids and my husband, but uh, my greater family. Unfortunately, I don't have time to talk with them as frequently as I would like to. And also I think social media is terrible in that regard because you always think you know what's going on in other people's life, but it's like reading the last page of a book. You never know what happened before they wrote that status or you know put up that uh, beautiful photo or what happened a moment later. And that's something terrible that I, I do have to resort to, you know, keeping in touch sort of, which I hate because again, everything for me has to be meaningful and social media is not meaningful. It's not meaningful relationships. So I don't have time for meaningful relationships outside <laughs> of uh, um, my immediate family. In the last few years, I did work on that. I did find time to incorporate friendship and understand how meaningful it is for me and, you know, for the world and for the example I want to set for my children, uh, how friendships are um, incredibly important and learning from other people and loving other people and sharing love and sharing passions with other people is one of the best things in life. So that's something that I did have to be very conscious about. It wasn't part of my life, my non-existent routine. So this is what I was really conscious about and decided to incorporate more in my life. Everything else just happened because I love it. This is something I love because I did it. <laughs> that's really powerful. So I love this. And Emily in Paris aside, because we're, we're going to argue about her. <laughs> that's a terrible show. And, and uh, we'll talk about it. I totally hate watched it. <laughs> it's fun. It's a guilty pleasure. What can you do? <laughs> yeah, totally. So I, I really connected to what you said because that's what I think about joy. I think, you know, whenever, if anyone asks me, like, am I a joyful person? Am I happy? Like, yes, I'm always happy. But am I happy at every given moment? No, because joy isn't about every single single minute being happy. It's about recognizing those moments that they happen frequently enough and that you're grateful for them and you can fully appreciate and kind of immerse yourself in them. So I love what you said. And I wonder, I just read yesterday talking about social media, this uh, tweet by someone called uh, Katie Leeson. And she said, um, and <laughs> it made me think about both of us, actually. Uh, she said, we need to stop glamorizing 
summarizing overworking, please. The absence of sleep, good diet, exercise, relaxation, and time with friends and family isn't something to be applauded. Too many people wear their burnout as a badge of honor, and it needs to change. And I'm really curious to hear your thoughts about this because I think on the one hand, you're a workaholic like me. <laughs> I re- still remember you taking uh, your laptop to play dates and stuff like that. And I totally related as, you know, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur who needs to get things done. On the other hand, since I've known you, you've been into Ayurveda, yoga, and it seems like it's, it's as you said, it's not, it's not a superficial thing that you kind of stick on top of other things to make yourself feel better or because you need to do it or as a band-aid but it's an inherent part of your life right i agree 100 with quote that you said again i i totally identify with it and when people say you know uh, uh that's so great that you have so much work and i say you know no because i want balance and balance again does is not something that is quantified it's a quality And I think that it's not about how many hours you work. I adore people who work a few hours if they want to work, you know, just a few hours a day. I can't say I wish I, I would be able to work a few hours a day because I love my work. And when I don't have yeah. actual work to do for, you know, the lengthy days that I have, I find work because I'm interested in what I'm doing. So I think it's about the cliche of doing what you love and uh, loving what you do, and both are as important. And if you don't, then maybe just um, regard it as work and do the minimum that you can. Uh, but for me, it's not work. It's, you know, something I love to do. And uh, my friend uh, Nitsan once sent me an article that I, I really changed, you know, my perspective. It was about how us millennials, yes, I am part of that generation, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm 1981 born millennial. So us millennials, we think that work is something that we need to love. And because of that, we bury ourselves in work. And if at other times for other generations, work was something you did for money, then now I say, you know, I don't need that money. I feel so grateful for being able to do what I love. And burnout follows virtually, you know, 100% of the time because suddenly you can't really quantify it. You can't say, okay. I will work this and that hours for this amount of money and you know that's it because that's what I need you are passionate about it you will stay over time you will work all the time because you love it and that's a problem and I do think that the fact that I have so many other things going on in my life really prevent me from overworking because you know I have other things to do it's uh um, so I really try to be again very conscientious about why I'm working right now is it something I need to do is it something I want to do don't I have something more important to do including not doing anything um, which is very important um, so I really understand like if I catch myself with a laptop at night in bed after I said I'm coming to bed I will ask myself is it really important can't it wait till morning? Can't I just, you know, watch SNL and not work during that and miss like 90% of the jokes? I think, again, really asking yourself why you're doing something 
And finding a good reason for doing that is always very important. So, so true. And, and it's an interesting point about millennials. Really interesting. So we're nearing the end of the interview, but I have a couple of questions that I really want to get in. So one question, uh, which is kind of uh, goes more with uh, the questions that we had uh, before, I'm really curious to hear what kind of manager you are and how do you find, because you're so passionate about your work, but also because I think you are so intuitive about your work and you really feel it. How do you find delegating and finding people, especially overseas, especially in COVID? And any thoughts about that and the intersection of being a manager while, again, like hiring for your values and keeping your quality of life? Okay, so uh, recruiting has always been a, a big challenge. I think finding the best people is always a The number one challenge of a business I have been lucky to find really uh, remarkable people that worked with me or work with me for many years and I think I if I could duplicate some of my past and um, present employees I would just do that but because I can't I uh, always try to find people that are very passionate and That say you know what you do sounds like the best thing in the world I want to try and do it I usually invest a lot of time in educating them teaching them and then we try out different um, missions different components of the work and if it happens to work that's great if it doesn't then we usually uh, say our goodbyes very friendly always um, because again always these are great people that I found in talent in and um, I respect deeply but sometimes the work is not for them or they are not a good fit for the work uh, like I said in the beginning it's the sort of work that if you're not entirely into it you just can't do it and definitely can't do it well because you find it boring and lonely and uh, spend a lot of time with the computer and uh, really have to lend your mind to something that It doesn't necessarily make you very interested and also it's a very out of box thinking kind of work so you always have to understand what you're looking at at a new and fresh way and not everyone can do that it's just not because they are not as good as others but because you know it's a, it's a just a weird way of thinking I mean um, like I am the opposite of a unitasker unfortunately I mean I always have to do a lot of things to be concentrated I have to have like you know TV and radio and everything like open oh, me too me too oh, my gosh so that's I think rare but I'm that kind of person and I think the multi-channeling is like something that helps me in my work like you You, I have a thousand tabs open at any given moment because that's how I work. And some people, that's how they think and it works for them and others, it doesn't. And that's also, of course, great. So I always try to find people and it's hard to define in the beginning what exactly I'm looking for. It's always a trial and error, unfortunately. It's stressful to recruit people. people uh, it's my biggest challenge that's part of my job I usually don't enjoy <laughs> yeah, really great friends out of it you know because I got to know people even if they're not employees uh, I have a few really good friends that started out as uh, employees and they told me you know 
either I don't know how we do it, it's not for me, or um, sometimes we're like, you know, let's let's just uh, part ways. So that's one. And, and as a manager, I think I'm, uh, on the one hand, very demanding. I tend to even micromanage at the font level. I mean, why are there two spaces between, uh, you know, this word? And, <laughs> but also I'm very direct as a person. I don't have time for, mm, so I just, I, you know, I say what I think and I have to really try and not do that because I, I know that people are sensitive, question mark. So I try to <laughs> rephrase what I'm thinking and what I want to do, but I am a direct person. So again, it's uh, also part of being really, everyone works with me and I'm the only one who works with the clients because my employees usually don't want to do that. Um, so I take it on uh, myself. So I also have to communicate uh, very clearly what clients want, what clients do, what they intend to do. And at the same time, I have to, manage the work and help do the research and uh, and then I do the analysis myself. I always do the analysis and the insights myself. Doesn't matter who did part of the work. So there's a lot of back and forth with anyone who works with me, whether it's an employee or a freelance or any uh, provider. Uh, so I think I'm a straightforward kind of manager, but I'm also very, very respectful of anyone who works with me, of their time, their life their priorities in life i don't think i think my work is my priority because it's my life i don't think my employees or any um freelance i don't think that's their life i don't think they need to you know bend over backwards because i have a deadline if i had an unrealistic deadline it's my problem uh so i think i'm a all in all i would say i guess uh a good manager <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure you are and i think that's that's amazing because you don't like you have your priorities and your values but you don't assume you don't like apply those assumptions to other people which a lot of times we do when we see the we view the world through our own perspective and our own prism okay so to wrap it up i have one silly question <laughs> <laughs> about and again something I can really relate being named Hamutal or Hedva in <laughs> in American world <laughs> and I saw that you as well uh, added uh, your nickname to your LinkedIn so you want to share with us a little bit about that of course so um I found again I'm all for uh, saving time and effort to other people and spelling Hamutal H-A-M is uh, really time consuming. And another thing I found is that when people don't recognize the name, they usually don't remember the name. And when they don't remember the name, they don't, just don't approach you. They won't talk to you because they don't remember their, your name and they're embarrassed. They won't come and say, you know, could you remind me your name? So uh, of course I go by my nickname, Tula. Um, it's very easy to reserve a spot with it. <laughs> when we just moved here and I was unable to understand, you know, the pronunciation of H uh, in a, uh, as opposed to age, 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 I got a letter from the electricity company saying Ajmutal, which is like Chanena Nadler Bing, you know? Um, so it's Ajmutal, A-J-M-U. Um, and this reminds me every time I get that bill, 
that I cannot use Hamutal here. I need to use uh, an easier name. And uh, many people say, you know, if somebody doesn't know how to say my name, it's their problem. You know, they can uh, deal with it. But I'm, I, I'm not trying to make it uh, harder on other people. Um, also, it's very funny because Tula is my nickname uh, that usually my mom used. So it's very funny for me to have the teachers in my kids' school and clients calling me <laughs> the nickname that my mom uh, is calling me. And um, it's just, it's like a, a best regards from my mom whenever somebody approaches me. So Tula, can we discuss <laughs> the problem? I, I have the same thing exactly. Vivi is my nickname that my dad calls me. Like he's the only person <laughs> until recently <laughs> that used to call me that. And it's like just it's hilarious. Yes, it is. And it's so much fun because it's like, you know, it's it's an inside uh, joke or like uh, soothing. Nothing bad can happen when somebody uses the nickname your parents call you. It's like, you know, they would never call you Vivi when they're pissed at you, right? Yeah. <laughs> it would be Hedva. So for me, <laughs> my husband says, Hamutal, uh, I know that I did something bad. You were in trouble. <laughs> so as long as everyone calls me my nickname, only good things can happen. That's amazing. I love it. Okay, I could be here all day. I really learn from you continuously. And I love you. And I adore the way that you think about life and how everything has a purpose. And every minute is lived to the fullest. These are some of my favorite characteristics that anyone could have. But for our last question, I would just ask you, what do you want to recommend? It could be a book, a podcast, fitness app. <laughs> I wonder which fitness app so yes download peloton app because it, it changed my life it changed i think many people's lives the fact that you can choose a lot of uh different um different types of uh fitness activities and also different people to follow and have the uh lessons with i think it's life-changing you don't have to spend any time at the same time that would take you you know to get to a gym, for example, um, you just do the work itself. And uh, I'm all for being very efficient with my time and having fun. And Peloton is about fitness and fun. So if I had to recommend one thing to everyone, as I do all the time on my Instagram, is just download the Peloton app. You, don't ha you can run outside. You can jump in your living room. You can do yoga anywhere. You can do bar and strength and everything. Just use it. Um, I think it's amazing. Uh, and, and recommendation in general, you know, just work out. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> uh, and again, like everything in life and everything for me, if it's not fun, don't do it. But you can always find something fun in something that you don't want to do. And uh, in, in sports, it's just like that. Do you like dancing? Dance. Do you like walking? Walk and listen to a book. It doesn't matter. Just, you know, move because that's what we were born to do. And I think uh, once you move, everything gets clearer. Your mind is at ease. And just make sure, like I know, Hedvi, you do all the time. Um, make sure you move. You get those steps in. Get those breaths in, you know, even if it's just breathing. 
Um, just uh, do something that your body was supposed to be doing when you were born. You just reminded me to breathe. So uh, where can people follow you for all these great recommendations and thoughts and your general awesomeness? Oh, thank you. You know, I have the personal aspect of my life, which, like you said, throughout this uh, uh, conversation is very much related to my work life. Um, would be probably Instagram, where you can find all the spiel about the fitness and the Ayurveda and the plant-based eating and uh, sometimes even the kids. Um, on Facebook, our company's page, Shiba Research, has um, recent findings, thoughts, posts, um, of uh, sometimes from the website, uh, researchci.com. Um, the, the posts and everything can be found uh, on Facebook. And also everyone is uh, welcome to connect on LinkedIn, where I also uh, share the professional thoughts and posts. Well, everywhere, actually, I guess, except for, you know, the kids today, they actually have Discord. I don't have a Discord. I thought you were going to say TikTok. No, no, forget about that. No, that's never. No one wants to see that. I mean, for me, <laughs> uh, no one wants to see me dance. <laughs> great. So LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter for all those great articles and research and Instagram for all that fitness and Ayurveda. Goodness. Awesome. Hamutal, thank you so, so, so thank much. You. I love talking to you all the time. Thank you for listening to Looks Like Work. You can find resources, links, and of course, the episode's show notes at roomsandwords.com. That's rooms, like a room, and words, and like an and.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I really, really hope that you'll like my newsletter too. My newsletter is something that I send out every week, and I share thoughts, links, books and just other things that I find thought-provoking, interesting, somehow contributing to these conversations that we're having here, or sometimes just joyously distracting. Again, the newsletter is sent out every week, and you can find the link to sign up on my website at roomsandwords.com. And I really hope to see you there, and of course to see you here next week. Have a good one! <laughs>